Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney uh, with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, I have a quick three-part question for you to kick off this week's podcast, if you're up for it. Sure, sure. Okay, part one. In what country is Manila? Uh, that would be the Philippines. Very good. Ding! Correct. Part <laughs> two. Is the Philippines in Africa? Uh, no. No, no, it is not. All right. Okay. Very well. That leads us to part three, which is in itself a two-parter based on your answers to parts one and two. In what country did the thriller in Manila take place? And is that country in Africa? So part one of that question uh, would be uh, the Philippines. And yep, very good. Part two would be no. Well, fantastic. Congratulations. You are now officially more qualified to host a podcast than Joe Rogan is. <laughs> All right. Um, I'd, I'd actually, I'd like to think I've always been more qualified <laughs> to host a podcast right. than Joe Rogan, if admittedly less capable of reaching an enormous audience than Joe right. Rogan. Uh, but uh, certainly I am more qualified to talk about boxing on a podcast. And uh, I, I now know that I am more qualified to talk about geography uh, because <laughs> I saw the viral clip that you are uh, referring to here uh, where he and some guest who had a similar aversion to facts and learning things. Cause why bother when you already know everything about everything? Right. Uh, when they both agreed that the thriller in Manila took place in Africa. Um, yep. I mean, honestly, anyone can misspeak during a live broadcast. Uh, they were clearly thinking of the rumble in the jungle, right. but it was still a, a wonderfully stupid, unforced error. And it, it does make me wonder if I could make a lot of money betting against Joe Rogan, knowing who's buried in Grant's tomb. <laughs> Yes. Um, and, and yes, look, to be fair, like you said, you say enough words on podcasts or on broadcasts, some of them are dumb and you have little brain freezes. Mm -hmm. And with a lot of people, you give them the benefit of the doubt. But it's Joe Rogan. So <laughs> yes. I no benefit that, given here. I enjoyed that dramatic pause. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up on this week's podcast, hopefully there'll be no horrible geographical or other errors for Joe Rogan to make mock us over. Um, I will come up with my top five list of Terence Crawford and Errol Spence fights as we begin to ramp up our coverage of the upcoming Spence versus Crawford showdown in Las Vegas. Uh, and talking of which, Terence Crawford's trainer, Brian Bomack McIntyre, joins us for an interview. Uh, plus, we have the week's news including reports of a potential big super middleweight fight and Canelo Alvarez tipping his hand as to his possible future opponents. Plus, of course, we'll have an edition of the fight game. But we begin with the weekend's action and we go first to Minneapolis, Minnesota, where on Saturday night in the main event of a Showtime Championship Boxing triple header, Carlos Adames turned back a challenge from Julian Williams by a ninth round TKO, but not Eric without some controversy. No, certainly not. Uh, you know, we, we, we got a reasonably dramatic fight between Williams and Adamas for nine rounds, and the drama continued after the fight ended, as uh, throughout this card, really, the way the fights concluded kept becoming a big part of the story. The action swung back and forth a bit early in this one. Adamas had a good second round, Williams an excellent third round, until Adamas rocked J-Rock badly in the fourth round, and from there... 
it seemed clear where this was ultimately headed, although I did give Williams a couple of close rounds after that, the the fifth and the eighth. But uh, the switch hitting Adamas was relentless, and his body attack was especially ferocious. And in the ninth, he hurt Williams again with a right hook and was starting to tee off when referee Mark Nelson stepped in at 2.45 of the round with J-Rock stumbling but punching back. Our buddy and Williams' trainer, Breadman Edwards, was apoplectic, dropping lots of four-letter words and arguing that if Adamez, quote, is the killer they say he is, let him finish him, end quote. Kieran, what did you think of the stoppage, of Bread's reaction to the stoppage, and of the fight to that point? So I get why Breadman was upset with the stoppage. I get why Williams was upset with the stoppage. And if I were in Bread's shoes, I'd probably be going off like that. And if I were J-Rock, I'd want Bread to go off like that. And Bread's correct. This is almost always the kind of stoppage that benefits the A-side. I totally understand and empathize with all that. I also recognize that these people have chosen being punched in the head as a profession, and they should be allowed to fight through the punishment that that involves. Um... But I will say, to be fair to Mark Nelson, I think these kind of fights are really difficult for a referee. Because even when Fighter B is boxing well and landing his shots, it's clear that Fighter A is doing damage and doing that little bit more damage with every flurry or combination. Yet Fighter B keeps throwing back. They're the kind of fights in which boxers can get hurt. So I understand Nelson's reasoning. I understand him sort of starting to think I should step in at some point. I'm sure he'll agree that the timing of that stoppage wasn't great and that Williams was pivoting to punch by the time Nelson got between them. Maybe Williams could have turned it around. I I get Brad's argument that if Adamas is, is so, you know, such a tough monster, let him finish him off. But I don't love the stoppage, but I also get it. Mm-hmm. And I can't be super mad at Mark Nelson for it. Look, I thought J-Rock showed a lot more resilience than I expected. I thought he boxed well. He had the faster hands. He had a good game plan. He showed decent defense, good combinations. But resilience is a part of this game, too. And Adamas was showing more of it than J-Rock was. I mean, Williams was visibly wilting each time Adamas launched his attacks. And and as you said, he was a different proposition after that fourth round battering. Um, I thought Williams showed he still got the skills and ability to be a fringe contender. Um, Adamas, on the other hand may have established himself as the best 160-pounder right now, particularly given that Triple G seems to have lost interest. And Charlo, as we'll talk about later, appears to be on his way up to 168. But I was a smidge underwhelmed uh, at times with the Adamas. Uh, I thought that Williams was the one who showed greater variety and fluidity in his offense. And Adamas relied a lot on his power to to just bludgeon J-Rock into defeat. That said, you mentioned Adamus' bodywork, and I like that a very great deal. I, I don't think there's any question that that saps a lot of strength from Williams. Um, and I have a hard time seeing out of the current crop of 160-pounders who does start a favorite against Adamus, honestly. But I'm also not completely convinced he's on the path to being a great or even especially notable middleweight champion. But I think of those who are sort of in the running at the moment to take over from Charlo and Triple G, that he's probably a, a smidge in front of everybody else right now. What do you reckon? Yeah, you know, your thoughts on the stoppage, uh, we are totally aligned. I mean, it, it can okay. be it can be hard to time a stoppage perfectly. Um, uh, this situation especially, you know, you have a fighter who's been KO'd previously in his career who tends to get wobbled, but 
is tough and doesn't go down so easily. And yeah. now now it's the second extended stretch of punishment in the fight. And even though he's been competitive and he's landed plenty, you haven't seen him hurt the other guy. You may find yourself jumping in at a moment that doesn't quite feel definitive, but you as the referee have just kind of seen enough. And and that's where I think Mark Nelson was. He's a good ref and has been for a he long is. time. So yeah, like you, I, I get why he stopped it. And like you, I get why Breadman and J-Rock hated the stoppage, especially with them feeling like this was a must win fight for them. Like, like J-Rock may be done as a title contender. If he loses this one, I think bread went a little far when he kept calling Nelson a piece of shit over and over. He was yeah. emotional, of course, but exactly. but I think even even when emotional, you want to stay on on the right side of the line of shifting from saying that stoppage is bullshit, that's fine, yeah. to saying you are a piece of shit. That was that yeah. was a little much. Um and, you know, I honestly feel that that Nelson saved Williams from unnecessary punishment in a fight where he was somewhere below a 1% chance of winning, probably at that point. Um, he was down by three, four, and eight points on the cards through eight, which the eight points, uh, 80 72 from Judge Raimundo Perez, that's appalling. That's, yeah. that's far worse than the timing of the stoppage. Um, but, you know, the point is Williams was going to need a knockout to win after inevitably losing round nine in one-sided fashion, 10-9 on all cards, maybe even a 10-8 without going down, that kind of round. So it wasn't going to happen. I don't mind the stoppage, even if the timing felt imperfect. And if this turns out to be Williams's last shot on a big stage, he showed heart and balls and skill in a fight in which he was just a little outgunned. Um, you know, he, he kept having moments, and I give him a lot of credit for trying different game plans, you know, yep. some trench warfare here, a little boxing and moving there. He was going to the body as well. He tried everything he could, but Adamas just a little too strong and young and wouldn't run out of gas. Um, so, I mean, Adamas is an elite 160-pounder. I think I, I didn't come away feeling quite as skeptical or or critical of him as it sounds like you were not, you know, not that you're negative on right. him, but just uh, I, I came away feeling a little more positive and feeling like he probably is the best fighter in the division right now. If triple G well, is either, is either retired or is the faded version of himself that, that he seems mm. to be. And uh, we don't know whether, whether Charlo is going to be fighting in this division at some point going forward. So he, he may be the number one guy in the division now. So with that in mind, it just sort of reemphasizes no shame in the defeat for J-Rock and, yep. you know, onward and upward for Adamas from here. Yep. Uh, in the co-main event, Erickson Lubin rebounded from his stoppage loss to Sebastian Fundora to score a fifth round KO of Luis Arias but it too was a controversial conclusion. Uh, Lubin was clearly controlling the fight, boxing masterfully against a slower opponent, perfect for boxing masterfully against. I gave Lubin each of the first four rounds and was a bit surprised two of the judges didn't. Uh, and then in the fifth round, Lubin dropped Arias with a chopping right hand just behind the ear. Arias complained to referee Zach Young that the punch had been to the back of the head. Uh, and he stood up just after Young counted nine, certainly before he counted 10, or so it seemed. Uh, Young deemed otherwise, and Lubin was back in the win column. And uh, Arias, like Breadman would be in the next fight, was apoplectic. Getting a lot of use out of that word today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kieran, was Young right about the count or was Arias? Would it have made much difference if Arias had been allowed to continue? 
And let's talk about the winner a little bit. Is Lubin back in the 154-pound title picture now? So first of all, in contrast to the previous one, I really didn't like this stoppage. Um, yes, Arias took a little bit too long to get up. Uh, he should have gotten up a half second earlier to be sure of beating the count. And yes, we've all seen boxers pull the, wait, 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 I was just getting up. Right. How could you stop it trick when they get up at nine and a half? Um, we've seen that a lot of times. Um, but that didn't appear to be the case here. I mean, look, Arias was losing the fight. I'm with you on the scores. Uh, he would have gone on to lose the fight, almost certainly. Uh, and Lubin might well have stopped him. But I do think if you're Zach Young, you have to take account of the context here. Like, Arias was alert, and he was bitching. And while he was losing the fight, I didn't think he was getting beaten up. And he certainly wasn't showing signs of not wanting to continue. I think Zach Young blew this call a little bit, actually. Um and then, yeah, look, poor old Arias, the final insult was Jim Gray looking to bring in Felix de Jesus when Arias was born in Milwaukee, for God's sake. <laughs> right. But you know what? That's okay. That happens. To, I think I've done that too. Like asked if somebody needs an interpreter and yeah, he really doesn't. But um, that happens. It's just, it just all added to the tough night for Arias, honestly. Um, good one for Lubin. And yeah, he's potentially back in the junior middleweight picture. The problem he has right now is that in contrast to middleweight, 154 pounds is pretty stacked at the top yeah. and every time he comes close he ends up having to go to the back of the line um so right now he's probably about fifth or sixth in line at 154 he did say he wanted the winner of the main event so maybe he feels he can go up to 160 um we talked about resilience i'm not sure he has the resilience to cope with carlos adames but you know we'd see uh a, i guess the ideal situation for lubin if he sticks at 154 is to try and get a match with either the Bryans, Mendoza or Castaño, but I'm not sure what the benefit would be for either of those to take that fight. And it looks as if Mendoza might be heading to a rematch with Fandora anyway. But yeah, look, that's for the future. It was, despite the finish, job done for Lubin, who, you know, we talked beforehand about how, you know, not all defeats are the same. And yeah, Ericsson Lubin lost a tough fight to Sebastian Fandora. It didn't necessarily mean that he was out of it or or on in a decline he just lost a tough fight and and i think he underlined that that he just lost a tough fight against sebastian fandora and he, he he's still in and about the higher echelons there of 154 pounds i think yeah um steve farhood said that the show opener a 115 pound title fight between unbeatens fernando martinez and jay bonilla was not a particularly difficult fight to score and maybe it wasn't because the judges all agreed with him that martinez was comfortably ahead through 10 uh Maybe I was just having a bad night at the office. Uh, maybe I, had I been one of the judges, I'd been one of the guys that we excoriate from time to time because I thought it was fairly even through eight. I thought Bonilla started reasonably well, but then Martinez clearly was on the ascendancy. But obviously the scorecard's not the story here. Um, Bonilla's uh, ear swelled and exploded in a shower of blood in round nine. Um, Bonilla kept going, but he was clearly affected by the injury, and referee Charlie Fitch stopped it after 29 seconds of the 11th. Uh, that's the third detached ear TKO that I've seen on TV or in person. Uh, Sebastian Lujan was one I remember against yep. Antonio Margarito. And then Stephen Smith, and I've forgotten right. who he was fighting. Uh, was ring Francisco Vargas, I think. It was. You're yeah. right. It was. Uh, those are the ones that I remember. It's a little amazing. It doesn't happen more often, I suppose, really. But, um, Eri, anyway, Eric, any thoughts on that fight and uh, on my dismal scoring? Uh, your, your scoring, I did not find it abysmal. I tended to agree. I mean, the scoring will not be a topic that endures with sure. this fight. It will be, it will be the ears. Um, uh, and just, uh, 
I guess I guess the ear this was the least grotesque maybe of those three. Yes, <laughs> but it was yeah. still grotesque. Um, yeah. I, oh, uh, I really don't need to see the cut man jamming the Q-tip oh, in I there. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was I was okay with just some blood, but once once we're going inside the flesh, no thanks. Um, that sent her Sarah Jean up to the guest bedroom and possibly <laughs> might have finished her with boxing that that shot actually. Yeah, you know I invited uh, Eli to watch the fights with me uh, last night. He kind of had nothing better to do. Was like, yeah, sit down and watch the fights i'm kind of glad he uh said no thanks and wasn't in the room for that he probably would have left also um but uh yeah i mean i i actually scored it like you did i thought bornea was was right in the fight possibly even ahead prior to the injury and then clearly losing the ninth and tenth rounds i thought it was an unlucky injury because he was Mm -hmm. in the fight and so you know the judges didn't agree they all had martinez ahead through eight and then ahead by more through ten but um by round eleven not only the ear spurting blood, but also Bornea's right eye was closing. So probably yeah. a reasonable decision to stop the fight there. But it, it had been shaping up as an interesting style matchup yeah. early on. They were kind of taking turns, backing each other up. I thought Martinez had taken the play away in terms of aggression, but wasn't landing very cleanly. So there were some some close rounds in there. You have to feel terrible for Bornea, who hasn't seen his wife and kids in two years and was waiting till he has a title belt to see them, and now he's still waiting. Uh, you, you know that I think there are too many alphabet belts, Kieran, but uh, good God, someone give this man a belt so he can go <laughs> home and see his children. Um, Bornea, he's a fighter I'd like to see again, and certainly Martinez yeah. remains near the top of the division. Um, it wasn't an emphatic win, but it was a solid one over an undefeated opponent, and... Um, Boy, after uh, he scored two wins over Ancajas and now this, they must hate Fernando Martinez in the Philippines, (laughs) which is, of course, in Africa, in case anyone doesn't know. That's right. Uh, Uh, Anyway, this result uh, must have been music to your unbloodied ears, Kieran, as you picked Martinez on points and I picked Bornea on points. So you got one point in our picks competition. Uh, We tied on the other two fights. One point apiece for the Lubin win, uh, but it was not over the distance, as we both predicted it would be. And uh, two points apiece for Adamus by stop- stoppage, although we each narrowly missed calling the round. And uh, we both very much missed in predicting it would be Breadman throwing in the towel. <laughs> kind, of, kind of got that one wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> as far wrong as it's possible to get, actually. Yep. Uh, but for the week, you picked up four points to my three. And so what do you know? Here we are, rolling into the midpoint of the year, deadlocked at 49-49. You love to see it. Yes. It's excitement, isn't it? <laughs> this, is, this is what everyone in the boxing world has their eyes on as we turn yeah. the calendar from June to July. Yep. Um, a couple of other fights of note this past weekend at Madison Square Garden. Jason Quigley put up more resistance than perhaps might have been expected, given that he was stopped in two rounds by Demetrius Andrade two fights ago. But he was dropped four times by super middleweight Edgar Berlanga, including twice in the final round, as Berlanga won a unanimous decision by scores of 116-108 twice and 118-106. It was a fight week to forget for Joshua Franco as the super flyweight weighed in just shy of 122 pounds for his 115-pound title rematch with Kazuto Ioka. And having gotten a draw in a bout that many felt he won last time out, he was outboxed this time as Ioka won by scores of 116-112 twice and 115-113. On Sunday morning, Franco announced his retirement at age 27 with a record of 18-2-3 with eight KOs. In a statement, Franco said, 
for the majority of my career, I've been going through a lot of mental problems that I was doing my best to control. I never talked about it publicly because I didn't want anyone to think I ever made an excuse for anything or for anyone to look at me different. I battled through it as much as I could to still perform and give you guys some great fights. For anyone that battles through any type of mental health issues, please know you are not alone and you can't let anything stop you from achieving your dreams. Uh, Kieran, thoughts on either of those fights or on Franco's apparent retirement? So full disclosure, I didn't see either of these fights in full, so I'm going off some highlights here. But it actually appears that Jason Quigley boxed reasonably well, actually, for long stretches in that fight until Berlanga's power just proved too much. Uh, although one of those four knockdowns was really more of a slip. Yes. Um, honestly, it might seem weird, but it, it feels a little bit like the kind of fight in which one could make the case that Quigley won by losing more than Berlanga won by winning, if you know what I mean. Um, it's five distance fights in a row now for Berlanga, and he was taking the distance and at times outboxed by a guy fighting at 168 for the first time and who was, as you noted, uh, recently stopped in two at middleweight by Demetrius Andrade, of all people. So sort of a, a win officially for Berlanga, but, you know, still it's... Uh, again, I, I don't think top ranker gonna be feeling any regret at letting right. letting him go at this point um uh, as for franco look i don't know him i don't know what he's like or what he goes through on a daily basis he, he did hint that something was amiss when he missed weight so badly but i have no idea if this is a carefully considered position or if it's an emotional reaction to the loss and the embarrassment of weighing into weight divisions too high everything we know about the history of boxing retirement suggested that suggests that this retirement should be served with a lot of salt but i suspect he believes it right now yeah um and obviously whatever he does ultimately decide to do we we wish him the best of health of course yeah certainly um on the on the berlanga quigley fight there was a very telling comment from sergio mora late in the 12th round um after the second knockdown of the round and the, and the fourth of the fight the clock is is winding down and sergio said all will be forgotten if berlanga can get this knockout that tells you a lot about the expectations and yeah. the performance that, that Berlanga had more or less, maybe not dominated the fight, but won it convincingly and yet somehow needed a knockout to hopefully make people forget most of what they'd seen. Um, I heard someone call this kind of a no-win situation for Berlanga coming in, and, mm. and I rejected that in my mind because I was thinking, yeah, he's probably going to start quickly, and what's so no-win about that? But as it turns out, he didn't stop him, and so I guess it was kind of no win, and, and it's it's one more piece of evidence that, that Berlanga was badly overhyped. Uh, that that mm. knockout streak, it was fun as hell, but it just set such unrealistic expectations, yeah. and, and we're learning he's not even really that devastating of a puncher, as, as it turns out. A good puncher uh, against the right opponents that are there to be hit, but... Uh, you know, n nothing nothing crazy from a power department. A lot of guys are going the distance with him now. He's a decent boxer, but he's not on the elite level. There's clearly a reason top rank let him walk. And, you know, he, he's fine, but I just don't see this guy yeah. getting to the championship level. The, the skills aren't there. And we will talk about Canelo in the news segment. But I, I just got to say, please stop with the attempts to position Berlanga yeah. as a Canelo opponent. That is a horrific mismatch. Bad things will happen to Berlanga if that fight yeah. ever becomes reality. Yeah, agreed. Um, just a few fights to look forward to next weekend. Uh, on or, or next week, I should say. On Thursday, our boy Kurt Scooby takes on veteran Hank Lundy in 
and what's an interesting step up for him. On Saturday on ESPN, undefeated heavyweight prospect Jared Anderson takes on late replacement veteran Charles Martin. Uh, while on ESPN Plus that same day, Franchon Cruz de Zern faces off against Savannah Marshall in a battle of boxes whose only defeats have come to Clarissa Shields. And in Exhibit A of the aforementioned paucity of the middleweight division right now, Esquiva Falcao takes on someone called Vincenzo Galtieri, for a belt that Gennady Golovkin couldn't be bothered to defend. Uh, anything float your boat out of all of that, Eric? I really have nothing to say about that last bit, except that this is why you shouldn't blindly recognize alphabet titles. Yep. Uh, the fighter makes the belt, not the other way around. And nothing against Falcao or, or Galtieri, but uh, if you call the winner of that fight middleweight world champion, you are part of the problem. Uh, the best fight coming up this weekend is undoubtedly Cruz Desern versus Marshall. Um, Cruz Desern, I'm seeing her as a plus 280 underdog. Uh, that's that's a really good price. Uh, this is, to my eyes, the kind of fight that if it were on neutral turf, I'd call it a true toss-up. Because it's in the UK, uh, you know, I, I can see Marshall being favored. I'd say maybe plus 150 on Cruz Desern would, would be a fair price. So... I will definitely be putting a pizza on her at plus 280. Um, and by the way, if she wins, she will have fully earned a rematch with Shields, and that, that yeah. becomes the most marketable fight for Clarissa. Um, Anderson against Martin, I guess that's fine for a late replacement. Martin has a little bit of a name. Big Baby will benefit from adding that name to his record, but I expect it'll be easy and quick. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see odds on that, but I, I will figure to jump on Anderson by KO in the first three rounds if the mm. price there looks decent. Uh, and uh, Scooby against Lundy? Yeah, a step up of sorts, although I don't think Hank Lundy has much left. Yeah. It, it may prove easy for Scooby, but, you know, kind of like Jared Anderson, he gets to put a, a veteran's name on his record. Yeah. Um, but certainly, th this is the weakest weekend of boxing that we have look to look forward to in July. It, it gets outstanding after after this coming weekend. This one, eh, Cruz Desern against Marshall. That's that's the only fight that really moves the needle for me. Yeah, sorry, we get a chance to take a breath before it all gets crazy, as the youth say. Indeed. Possibly. All right. Well, speak. No, no, they definitely do say that. Uh, I have children. Oh, they do. They, they say they say gets crazy nice. all the time. Yes. I know. I know stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Kieran, let's get Krizazi here. Are you ready to play <laughs> the fight game? Ready as ever, so no. <laughs> right. I feel like we kind of need a, a ring announcer catchphrase to start introducing it. Uh, uh, we uh. certainly don't want to get sued by saying, let's get ready to play the fight game or anything like that. We're, we're not going that route. Maybe we can get Jimmy Lennon to record himself saying, it's the fight game. That would be pretty he cool. Might do that if for he us. would do that, yeah. Or, or, or we could make up some absolute nonsense about four corners of the globe or something horrible but uh, <laughs> first first choice would be to see if we can get jimmy to record a bumper for us yeah. let's uh, let's endeavor yeah. to do that yeah. yeah we'll ask him in vegas yes that'll be the plan all right here we go uh clue one i admit that this is not a good first clue you know we we strive for perfect <laughs> i know i know we strive for perfect first clues and this ain't it uh because this has a subjective element to it uh but here goes this fight is arguably the most famous 13th round knockout in boxing history. <clears throat> Kieran spins through his mental Rolodex, thinking of famous 13th round knockouts. Yeah. Um, I... I'll give you a little sub -clue. 
I'll give you a little okay. sub clue that lets you stall and just noting that when I looked up 13th round knockouts to see if I was right that this is arguably the most famous and that there wasn't something I wasn't thinking of, there are kind of three fights that for which you could make an argument. This is somewhere in the top three most famous 13th round knockouts in boxing history. Was it, was it like Marciano Walcott? Wasn't that a late? I don't know if that was 13th, but that, that was late. That was indeed 13th. That is not this fight, but that is one of the ones that you could make an argument against. I'm glad you guessed wrong so that we get to move on to the next clue. But uh, <laughs> Oh, he says but... rapidly. <laughs> moving along. Well, you don't get multiple guesses per clue. Fair enough. There are rules, Karen. But no, that is one of the three that you could make a case for. This is not that. Okay. Um, Clue two will give you a pretty good sense of the era. This fight took place on June 18th. I will not specify the year, but it was on June 18th. (laughs) The winner's previous fight was on May 23rd, just 26 days earlier. The loser's previous fight was on May 26th, just 23 days earlier. Uh, All right. So we're talking Henry Armstrong territory here. Um, Is that Henry Armstrong? It it is Uh, not. And and I won't call that as a guess because you weren't fully making a guess. If you want, if you want to continue to uh, think aloud and and make an, another guess, uh, you can. I feel like I've kind of shot my bolt with Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a good guess that had a chance to be correct because it, that's the problem with the subjective uh, element to the right. first clue. Your your guess there was nothing incorrect about your guess other than the fact that it wasn't the fight I was thinking of. So it's got to be that kind of era. We we got to be talking thirties, forties maybe 50s kind of an era if they're fighting that often. I, I, I will confirm for you that it is in one of those three decades you just named. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> it's on that June date in one of those three decades. <laughs> yes, you've narrowed it down to 30 <laughs> different June 18ths. Fantastic. Um... What about Robinson Maxim? Was that a thirteenth round star pitch, or was that I believe, later? I think that was fourteen. That was that's oh. a that's a good guess though. That's a good guess though. I'm pretty sure that one ended in the fourteenth. Okay. Um, and uh, Joe Rogan, you could fact check me if I've got that wrong. But... <laughs> <laughs> that fight was in Antarctica, right? <laughs> which is uh, so which is, which is uh, on the planet Mars. <laughs> I believe that's right. Uh, that's these are right. good. You're making good guesses here, Karen. I, I, I have to say, even though you haven't won through the first two clues, these are these are solid guesses. You're in the ballpark. Here we go with clue three. Okay. The man who prevailed by KO in round thirteen was trailing on two cards and even on the third, entering that thirteenth round of this fight, which is arguably the most famous thirteenth round knockout in boxing history. Um, Dempsey Tunney was that a thirteenth round? No, because I actually I think both of those fights went the distance, didn't they? Anyway, that uh, I think Dempsey, I think yeah, definitely the oh, long right. count fight it, was a yes. ten round decision. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. how many rounds yeah. the first one, but they might have both been ten round decisions. Um, all right, your your you're not your your brain is not quite focusing in, but I, I think. I think clue four may get you over the okay. line. Here we go. We'll see. Clue five will definitely get you there. But I think clue four, <laughs> clue four, I like your chances. Okay. The winner successfully defended his title against an opponent he officially outweighed by 25 and a half pounds. Oh. So you probably know what weight class this would have taken, would have been in. Featherweight. 
<laughs> right? A 126-pound man against a 101-half-pound man. Yes. Good. You're doing well. <laughs> so... Here's, here's what we have so far. It's a 13th round knockout and a very famous fight. Right. Uh, it's a heavyweight fight. Yes, I will confirm. It is a heavyweight fight. And I did say defended his title, so a heavyweight title fight. Um, in the 30s, 40s, or 50s, and the guy who won was trailing on two cards and even on the third. Oh, was it Max Schmeling? It was not. It was such a definitive O oh, that I was that I was uh, such a definitive O oh, that I was sure you had it. Uh, but uh, no, it is not. Uh, so the so Schmeling Lewis so Schmeling won. Lewis won. I was wondering. Yeah, Schmeling Lewis won was KO twelve, I do believe. So you're dancing man, right around I'm that thirteenth round. You are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can say before we go straight to clue five and then and uh, and and just fully give it away to you. Here's here's what I will say before we go to clue five. You just named one of the two fighters, but not the right but not the right opponent. Okay. So I'm gonna guess that it's Joe Lewis is the one rather than Max Schmeling. That is correct. It is a Joe Lewis fight. Okay. And he one he defended his title successfully. He did. Uh, yes. He agreed. Okay. Against a against a man he outweighed by twenty five and a half pounds. Yeah, that's actually not helping me. That's kind of mm. throwing me like I'm like, who who am I not thinking of here? Or who So it's really famous. Mm-hmm. This so the, oh so this is this is the Kieran loses credibility with the hardcores episode of, uh, exactly. of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, sadly. So I'll it, it isn't Joe Lewis against Jersey Joe Walcott, is it? It is not. No. It is not. So I can I can go I can go to clue five. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. He really doesn't want to go to clue five. Did he fight him a couple times? He did. This was the first of, of two fights between these uh, between these is men. It Billy Kahn? Yes, there it is. Yes, the famous crap. Joe Lewis KO thirteen Billy Kahn on June eighteenth, nineteen forty one. the The fifth clue was going to be this fight took place at the Polo Grounds in New York. No, not in Pittsburgh, kid. And it ended with two <laughs> right hand bombs. Uh, so had, had you not known Billy Kahn was the Pittsburgh kid, I suppose this was a chance for uh, even Clue 5 to not do it. But uh, yeah, your brain just wasn't going to that fight. To, uh, this, but uh, but so close. Right. Yeah, when you when you said Mar- Marciano Walcott, I was like, okay, he's right in the ballpark. He's he's going to get this. Because um, yeah, the and the, the other uh, one that you could make a case as the most famous KO-13 is uh, Larry Holmes and Jerry Cooney was a KO-13. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could put that up there. Yeah. So uh, that that that'd be a good debate for a uh, historian. Which of those three fights is would you say is the most famous of the three fights? I think they're they're all around the same level, kind of. They're all you know, major major heavyweight title fights uh, that were memorable for one reason or another. But uh, yeah, you know what? Even though it took me four and well, let's say four and a half, <laughs> I was gonna. I'm actually like four not and three unhappy. Quarters. Yeah, I'm not unhappy with my effort there, actually. You got off to a great start. Your guesses on clues one and two were both impressive, and then you kind of you petered out. As, <laughs> as, as, uh, as Breadman might say, you shot your load. 
but but you know it all works out. God, can you imagine if I hadn't known anything about Billy Conn and hadn't gotten it on on Guest Five? I was getting I was getting concerned that Pittsburgh Kid wasn't going to do it for you because you, you you were just totally spacing on the right. existence of Billy Conn. I mean, I mean like Paul Spadafora. <laughs> Joe Lewis KO thirteen Paul Spadafora is the answer. Well done. Well, you thought you would have thought more people would have written about that, huh? <laughs> All right. I feel like, honestly, I feel like, you know, there are there are good losses and mm-hmm. bad wins. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that as a good, whatever we call a four and a half guess win. I'm, I'm, I'm. It was, it was rough, but I'm, I feel okay with my effort there. You, I, to put it in boxing terms, you came out slugging and and you landed some real haymakers early on, but they didn't quite finish the guy off, and then and then and then you got clipped, <laughs> and you were just holding on to get to the final bell from there. But I made it. But, but you made, made it. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The other the other guy got cut or something. <laughs> his his ear exploded, and you his ear exploded. Go you go, go out with your hand raised. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we always come we always come back to the same point. So here we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to this week's news, shall we? Uh, not very many items, but some notable ones. Um, and our main event concerns the man who, if no longer the pound for pound number one, is still the biggest star in the sport, uh, Canelo Alvarez. Uh, he announced on social media that he signed a three-fight deal with PBC beginning in September. Uh, ESPN Mexico, and then indeed also our friend Dan uh, Rafael from ESPN has subsequently reported that the deal is worth about $100 million and will begin with a meeting with Jamal Charlo. Uh, Eric, that presumably means that Canelo will be returning to Showtime pay-per-view. So, First of all, how excited are you to have the sport's biggest star back on our side of the street? And um, secondly, given our sense that we've talked about a couple of times lately, that Canelo might not be quite the force he was, will this be his last big deal? Or maybe even his last deal, period? So, you know, our our, our bosses at Showtime are loath to confirm anything until it's officially official. So uh, even we, despite working for Showtime, can't... Can't say yep. that it's Canelo versus Charlo on Showtime pay-per-view, but unofficially, clearly, the plan is to finalize Canelo versus Char- Charlo, and it'll be on Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, they're talking about September 16th. Um, it's a first-rate fight. You know, there, there were some good options for Canelo and some less good options for Canelo. This, to me, is undoubtedly one of the good ones. How excited am I to have Canelo back on the Showtime PBC side? You know, of course, it's it's good news. It increases the likelihood we'll be at the fight. Um, it means more money rolling in at Showtime via the boxing program, which means any rumors of the death of Showtime boxing anytime soon become increasingly likely yeah. to prove totally false. Um, I have to credit Canelo. He has done a masterful job of moving back and forth across the street he without has. burning any bridges. That's tough yeah. to do. Um, yeah. he's, he's in the catbird seat. He gets to choose who he fights and when he calls the shots. So he's taking advantage of that position to maximize his earnings and opportunities, but he's doing so while remaining in the good graces of whichever side is temporarily losing the Canelo sweepstakes. Um, will this be his last big deal or, or possibly even his last deal period? Uh, so let's see, he, he's 32, turns 33 next month, so he'll be 33 when he fights in September, and then assuming a May fight and a September fight mm. in 2024, yeah, it's possible he'll go like January and May, but let's let's guess May and September, he's 34 when this three-fight deal ends, unless something goes horribly wrong, he, he gets brutally knocked out in one of these mm. fights, or 
he loses two fights in a row and, and looks like mm. he just doesn't have it anymore. Unless something like that happens, I would guess this is not his final deal. And, you know, any deal he has going forward after this is a major deal, uh, mm. unless that situation I just described happens where he looks shot three fights from now. So I'm going to guess he has more than three fights left and has at least one more major deal after this. But the question is valid. We're hitting that territory where the finish line could be coming into frame. Now, uh, let me ask you something. Uh, if Charlo is indeed the next opponent, as seems almost certain to be the case, who do you think are most likely to be his subsequent foes in this three-fight deal? And does this deal mean that I have to give up on my dream of what once was the number one fight I wanted to see in the entire sport, <laughs> Canelo versus Better Biev, becoming reality? So my first thought on this was that it's at least a dream deferred. Um, but I, but I, then I thought, well, I'm not necessarily sure that it makes that much difference because, look, better top-ranked promote Better Biev. And there's no love lost between top rank and matchroom. They've not really, they don't particularly want to work together. So I'm not sure that it's any less likely now than it was before, actually, Canelo better be of. Um, that said, uh, if Charlo is indeed next up, and look, first of all, there's absolutely no guarantee that Canelo wins that one at all. Yeah. But if he does... Uh, while we'll be talking in a bit about the prospect of David Benavides against David Morrell, if that does come off, and if Canelo does get past Charlo, then surely him against the winner of Benavides Morrell would have to be next. And if Benavides Morrell don't meet, then surely Benavides or Morrell would, would probably have to be uh, next. And I don't know that Canelo emerges from that sequence of fights 2-0. and Right. But if he does then I can see a better BF fight. Uh, or, or perhaps he'll attempt again to scratch that itch and make that Bivol rematch. Uh, so maybe in 15 months or so, we'll see it. But I think a lot depends. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts and a lot is going to depend on how Canelo looks and on how he feels. It's not just his age. He's He's got a lot, he's got a lot of fights under his belt and he's put on a lot of weight over the years and he's fought a lot of tough guys yeah. and he's had knee injuries. He might just be like, oh, even if he comes out of it 2-0, he might feel the next two fights 2-0. He might feel, oof, I don't know, man, maybe just a nice little goodbye fight in Mexico and, and yeah. we'll take it from there. So it's, so it's hard to say, but if it is Charlo, it, at the moment, you'd have to think that Benavidez or Morel would be fight number two. Right. And then we'll see after that. Right. Or possibly fight number three with a less mega type of fight in between or something like that. But sure. Uh, yeah. The, the, certainly. Yeah. The, the uh, Benavides or Morel is certainly on the radar, I would think, within this deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. While we're on the subject of mega fights, Showtime has announced the pay-per-view undercard for the July 29th Crawford Spence clash. Uh, the co-main event features Isak Pitbull Cruz against Giovanni Cabrera in a lightweight title eliminator. The other bouts see undefeated welterweight Jesus Ramos against Sergio Garcia and unbeaten heavyweight Gurgen Hovanesian against Victor Faust. And the whole pay-per-view starts at, get this, 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, Stephen Espinoza, from me and from my entire army of washed narcoleptics. Uh, <laughs> Kieran, we've touched on a couple of these fights previously when they were in the rumor stage, but uh, what are your thoughts on the card as a whole now that it's been confirmed? So I've actually seen some underwhelmed reactions to this card online, but I like it. I actually really quite like it. Uh, um, I don't know anything about Hovhannisian other than he's 4-0 and looks hefty. Um, 
we saw Faust earlier this year put in a really quite strong performance against the favored Linear Perot until Perot found a body headshot combination that ended things abruptly. So it looks like it might be a fairly decent seeming heavyweight scrap to open. Um, Jesus Ramos is quite possibly something special. So great idea to give him another pay-per-view showcase. And how he fares against Garcia, who's fought well in losing efforts to Tony Harrison and Sebastian Fandoro. I, I think that's a good yardstick by which to judge his progress and potential. But the fight that I love on this card, apart from the main event, obviously, is Cruz Cabrera. It's one we touched on before. I, I love it. I just love it. I think that should be a can't-miss fight. And the crowd, assuming it turns up in time for the co-main event, <laughs> it is right. Las Vegas, so who the hell knows. If it does, then it should be rocking by the time the main eventers show up, because I, I think this co-main especially will be a... a yeah, just a, a great aperitif. Yeah. All right. Now on to the rest of the news. Uh, one story that we've been tracking for a while has seemingly come to a head as the International Olympic Committee has expelled the International Boxing Association, putting Olympic boxing in genuine peril. The Nevada State Athletic Commission has suspended Alberto Pueo for six months after he failed a drug test for his scheduled lightweight contest with Rolando Romero in May. And it fined Devin Haney $15,000 for shoving Vasily Lomachenko during the weigh-in for their clash that same month. Uh, the money will be taken from the $400,000 the commission initially withheld from Haney's purse. They'll get the other $385,000. Uh, one significant fight confirmed. Jesse Bam Rodriguez and Sonny Edwards have signed to face each other in a 112-pound unification bout, date and location to be determined. And our friend Dan Raphael of ESPN has reported that a super middleweight clash, as teased moments ago by you, between David Benavidez and David Morrell, with a co-feature of a Brian Mendoza-Sebastian Fondora rematch, is in the works, although negotiations between Benavidez and Morrell have reportedly grown contentious. Kieran, what leaps out at you here? I, I was just going to say, it's it, it's funny how endlessly tickled we are by the whole Dan Raphael of ESPN <laughs> thing. <laughs> a, a good running joke that you can keep running with, uh, much like Joe Rogan and the Philippines being in Africa, I have a feeling we're going to keep keep coming back to that one, too. It's it's nice to have these little jokes that, that keep working. Yeah, even if it just like makes us happy. Right. You know, that's what matters. Um, uh, onto the serious business. Yeah, look, we've been tracking this Olympic situation for a while, and it's just uh, it's turning into everything we feared it would be. Um, the, the potential repercussions for not just the amateur game, but then the professional one are, are, are immense. Fortunately, um, the IOC has made some reassuring comments uh, that I've seen that boxing will be at the Olympics in both 2024 and 2028. And the IOC itself apparently is going to take over the running of the Olympic tournament in, for the upcoming games which is a relief, but doesn't seem entirely sustainable in the long run. And besides, there's an abundance of other amateur tournaments and other amateur governance issues that need a reliable organization. And the IBA made some comments to the effect it was going to move into pro-style boxing. I mean, that's not the response you want. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just a mess. Uh, we reported a few weeks back that some national amateur bodies um, are, are looking to create an alternative to the IBA, and that or something like it can't happen soon enough. I mean, God, amateur boxing makes professional boxing look like a bake sale run by Mother Teresa at the moment. It's just, <laughs> what a horrible, horribly embarrassing situation. It's just just terrible. And amateur boxers deserve better. So I really hope that that gets resolved. Um, Bam Rodriguez, Sonny Edwards, that's a terrific matchup. Um, and Benavides Morel, should it happen? 
is, is salivation worthy. That's really one of my favorite fights to be made right now. But as you sort of alluded to, there's talk, including from the morale side, that negotiations are getting hung up. Uh, morale side is claiming that Benavides is looking to swerve that matchup and take on Jaime Munguia instead. And oh, what a letdown that would be if indeed Benavides did turn to Jaime Munguia yeah. when the opportunity to fight David Morrell was there on the table. We will have to see how that evolves. Um, Benavides is happy to accuse Canelo of ducking him. Uh, he doesn't want to be particularly want to be in a position where he's being called out for for ducking David Morrell. Yeah, I, I hope that one does get done. Uh, the word is that Benavidez Morel would be on pay-per-view, which, you know, it's kind of borderline in that you'd ideally like mm. to see that fight reach a wider audience. Um, but Benavidez has turned into an attraction, so I get why it would land on pay-per-view. And I, I'll say that it becomes a lot easier to accept paying for when you get a co-feature like Mendoza yeah. Fundora 2, which is, you know, a Showtime Championship boxing main event caliber kind of fight. So... It's a very strong potential card, and um, boy, the second half of 2023 really could be amazing for boxing fans, even better than the first half, which has been really damn good in its own right. Um, I was listening to our friends on Morning Combat the other day, and even Luke Thomas admitted he's enjoying boxing more than MMA right now. So uh, suck at MMA, suck at Rogan. Uh, but, uh, but, but seriously, (laughs) if, if boxing's powers that be would consistently make all the best fights... There'd be a lot of Luke Thomases out there just loving the shit out of our ridiculous little yep. sport. You know what I hope? I hope we get to go back on Morning Combat and we start by saying, suck it, MMA. <laughs> and we thought the comments were harsh last time. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we stand up and do the crotch chop move as we say that? <laughs> That's right. Can you imagine what they'd say about that old dinosaur doing the crotch chop Right, move? especially yeah. when we both throw our backs out crotch chopping on, <laughs> on live streaming. Exactly, exactly. And also, probably also that's considered like some kind of OG wrestling move now, actually. That's, you know, the whole Degeneration X crotch chop. It's right. like, you know, it's like practically Bruno Sammartino. That, that we're showing but, our age by doing it. Yes. Yeah, but I don't yeah. know. I feel like the crotch chop has remained in style, kind of. <laughs> Did you ever think you would say those words in that <laughs> sequence? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 I did not. But here we are. And, uh, as, as are established, indeed. we both know what the youngs are into and, yes, uh, crotch shopping, not going out of style. We would know. Yep. yep. Once again, kind of an analysis. You don't get on any other boxing <laughs> podcast. All right. <laughs> Time for this week's top five list. Um, following the official announcement that Errol Spence and Terence Crawford will meet for all the welterweight marbles on July 29th. Uh, last week, uh, Eric tasked me with coming up with the top five combined best Spence and Crawford performances. I was able to keep this fairly balanced. I had three for one man, two for the other. Okay. But I will say it's one assignment where it's easier to come up with a long list of honorable mentions than the top five. You know, I, I, I look, both these guys are going into the Hall of Fame, whatever happens in five weeks. But both their resumes contain a lot of pretty good performances against pretty good opponents rather than necessarily standout wins against right. top class foes. But even so. We have a list. And I think this could be one of these lists where we might actually have some variants again. So, okay. but we'll see. All right. Uh, number five. Uh, March 30th, 2013, my 45th birthday, for what it's worth. Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Uh, I've got a Crawford uh, unanimous decision over Bradis Prescott. And this is probably a surprise choice and a fight that possibly uh, a lot of folks have forgotten. 
Um, it was my first time seeing Crawford live. I was ringside for this one, which was on the Rios Alvarado 2 card. Um, the reason that I picked it is that the then 19-0 Crawford had been mostly campaigning at lightweight, although also at 140 pounds, when he was given an opportunity at just two weeks' notice to take on uh, Colombian puncher Prescott. And Prescott was probably favored going into this. Um, Crawford bet on himself, as we like boxers to do. After a slowish start, he dominated the still dangerous veteran to win a wide unanimous decision. Look, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing of contests. The crowd booed on and off, and it would take a little while before Crawford shed the label that he had at this point of being a fairly boring fighter. But this was the fight to me that established definitively that Crawford was not only a genuine talent of real ability, um, but was somebody who was willing to bet on himself, to be, you know, to do, as Brian Campbell likes to say, to dare to be great. Um, and so that's why I put this as number five. Interesting. Yeah, that is, that is a surprise. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't even really stop to think about it as an honorable mention. And I guess it's a, a sign of how one's memories can can play tricks in that um, – I looked at that on his resume and my memory told me, uh, oh, you know, fairly simple mismatch. I'm sure Crawford was a big favorite going in kind of deal, but uh, but may, I may be entirely remembering it wrong. And that at the time, either, as you said, Prescott was favored or at least it was viewed as kind of a risky toss up kind of fight. And uh, it's just because they went in such different directions afterwards. Right, one, be exactly. one became yeah. like a pound for pound, arguably number one, and the other uh, never really got back to that level that that one looks back and, and says, oh, that was an easy win for Crawford. But uh, I could be totally uh, forgetting what uh, what a challenge that was viewed as at the time. Mm. All right. Now, my number four, March 16th, 2019, Arlington, Texas, Errol Spence, unanimous decision over 12, Mikey Garcia. Um, there are caveats here. Garcia was moving way up in weight. Um, his previous bout had been at lightweight, although he had held a belt at 140 pounds and had a few fights at 140 before that and spence took some criticism as well um i think including for from us as well as praise for not really showing a killer instinct being content to go through the gears round after round and pile up points but garcia was undefeated he was a top pound for pounder and he was the one who made the fight because he claimed that he'd seen something in spence that he could exploit but spence admittedly the longer larger man kept him at the end of a stiff jab all night and completely nullified and dominated a man regarded as a master boxer. Plus, if I recall correctly, this was Spence's first pay-per-view main event, and he did use the platform to showcase his world-class skills as a boxer. And this was when he really announced himself, I think, uh, as a real genuine talent. Our lists are indeed uh, diverging quite a bit because this one didn't okay. crack even my honorable mentions either. Kind oh, okay. of, kind of for the uh, sort of the devil, devil's advocate type reason yep. you were laying out there that uh, Garcia was moving up in weight and was and was pretty far undersized and because Spence didn't really ever go for it fully against him. He was content to just jab and easily outbox him. So I consider this kind of a, a fine win for Spence against a good name, but not one of his uh, signature victories. Yeah. You know, what was interesting. Like at first I didn't have it. Like I thought about it. And at first I didn't have it on my list at all. And then I moved it to honorable mentions and then sort of at the last minute, I, I kind of put it in there in the top five. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, there we go. Uh, number three, uh, June 28th, 2014, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, Terrence Crawford, TKO9, New York is Gamboa. Um, and yes, look, I know it's another case of a larger man beating up on the smaller one, but this was the fight and the fight week that I think catapulted Crawford towards stardom. It was a homecoming to Omaha. The atmosphere was insane. The fight was tremendous fun as Gamboa unloaded his full bag of tricks, did everything he could 
to make the fight competitive until Crawford just beat him down. Uh, Gamboa, who, let's me forget, was unbeaten at this stage, went down four times in all before the referee waved it off. Cue Bedlam and joy in the arena and a drunken celebration in the hotel lobby, mostly by Crawford's mother. <laughs> uh, all right. We finally have uh, a fight that, is, that appears in both of our lists. This was my number five. So we're in the in the ballpark here. Yeah, just to, um, certainly in terms of uh, most entertaining and memorable fights that either of these guys have had. This is near the very top, if not even perhaps uh, number one, uh, just a, a great fight and uh, um, a breakthrough win in terms of Crawford getting recognition. Uh, my number two, November 20th, 2021, Las Vegas, Terrence Crawford, KO 10, Sean Porter. Um, Porter had come up short against the best before, but he'd also come out victorious against some of the best before. Um, but his losses have been competitive. Uh, 115, 113 across the board to Keith Thurman. Majority decision lost to Kel Brook. Split decision to Spence. And he was competitive in spots here too, uh, giving Crawford all the trouble he could handle in, in that usual frenetic fashion of his. But Crawford adjusted and adapted, and then he went to work and told in the corner incorrectly before the 10th round that he was behind on the scorecards. He just marched out and dropped Porter twice, um, prompting Kenny Porter to throw in the towel and then throw his son under the bus afterwards. Um, <laughs> yes. um, Porter promptly retired from the sport, and this was the only stoppage loss on his record. Yeah, this is actually my number one. Um, okay. So, uh, now it's, so now it's kind of interesting because you did reveal that you have three of one and two of another. Yes. So now I know your number one is must be a Spence fight. And I had, so I had a Crawford KO nine Gambo at five Crawford KO 10 Porter at one. And I have three Spence fights in between. Ah. So which of those three will it be? I do not know. I guess I'm about to find out. It is April 16th, 2022 TKO 10 or Dennis Ugas. Mm -hmm. Um, look, I, always favored Crawford against Spence and I continue to do so but damn and we talked about this at the time this was the fight that gave me my first real doubts um Ugas was on a high after retiring Manny Pacquiao Spence just brutalized him I mean he just beat him up and Ugas is a tough tough guy swelled up Ugas closed his eye until the ringside physician told referee Lawrence Cole to stop the contest I, I think this was a real statement win this was arguably in my mind the most dominant performance against the best opponent that, that we've yet seen from, from either man. Yeah. Excellent choice. This is my number two. So we just flip flopped okay. each other's one and two, but we had the same two fights at the top here. Um, yeah. Just a, I guess I maybe part of the reason I put, uh, and I guess they're both KO tens, but part of the reason that I put Crawford's win over Porter ahead of it is that I think a little more highly of Porter than Ugas, but maybe I shouldn't, mm -hmm. maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that's debatable even. So um, yeah, this is uh, I think Spence's best win uh, to this point. Um, and, and just going back to the Crawford Porter fight, it, it really stands out to me that, that Crawford needed to needed that KO there in terms of like, as great as he's been, his resume, I think prior to that lacked, something resembling a truly defining mm. performance. And, and by knocking out Sean Porter, he kind of got his de defining performance. Although I guess uh, either, either or one of these guys is going to come away with his new defining performance uh, oh, right. in, in a few weeks. Yeah. I, and lots of potential honorable mentions here. The ones that I had Crawford over Ricky Burns, which I think was a significant win against the respected belt holder on his home turf. Crawford over Victor Postal, which yeah. was not a captivating fight. But it was a dominating performance by Crawford and, and a unification fight that plenty thought might go the other way. Um, uh, Crawford over Amir Khan. Sure, Amir was not, you know, was 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 a shell of what he had been, but it's still very clear 
wipeout there. Uh, then a bunch of Spence fights. Lamont Peterson. Um, Spence just brutalized him. Chris Algieri. Kel Brook. And I didn't put Crawford over Brook because and there's even a slight asterisk with Spence yeah. over Brook because Golovkin had already damaged him. And by the time Crawford got to him, you know, Spence had damaged him some more. Uh, Spence over Danny Garcia. Uh, I think those are the main ones I've got. Have I missed something? You, something the, you didn't. Like, I don't think you mentioned Spence over Porter, which was it was a close decision. Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was so. I had Spence over Brook as my three, with right the little caveat that Golovkin had already beaten him, but it, it, it had only been the one loss to that point, and so right. I thought that win at that point in Spence's career was a real step up uh, victory for him in, in an excellent fight. And then I had Spence Porter at number four, just again because of the quality of Porter, even though it was a narrow win sure uh, but otherwise you named all the ones i had and i i I'd probably rank a little more highly than most spence ko5 algeri um because i was ringside for for that one and mm. it was the real you know algeri had not had not been stopped before that and uh at least I'm pretty sure he had not been stopped before that. And um, again, Joe Rogan, fact check me if I've got that wrong. But uh, I, I believe that was the first time he had been stopped. And it was just dominant from Spence. And yeah. nobody really, you know, that was seemingly Spence's step up fight. It was going to be a bit of a challenge for him. And it wasn't at, at all. So I had that one pretty high among my honorable mentions. But uh, yeah, it, this exercise shows that there's a lot of depth to both resumes, but a little bit of a lack of that one clear defining yeah. performance as they head into a clash with each yeah. other. Yeah, indeed. All right. Uh, to wrap up this week, we are joined by our guest, and it's someone we'll all be seeing a lot of over the coming weeks. He is the longtime trainer of Terence Bud Crawford, the one and only Brian Bomack McIntyre. Both thanks for joining us and welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be invited on the show. Well, uh, congratulations to you and and Bud and and the rest of the team on on getting this fight over the line. It's a fight we've all wanted to see for a while, uh, including you, I'm sure. Um, when did you know it was definitely on? I, I assume at least a little before the rest of the world knew. And 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 how much of a de- of the deal getting done is owed to Errol and Bud? talking directly to each other and getting it done? Well, I knew probably uh, probably a week or maybe a week, a week and a half before they announced it, uh, before they uh, put it out to the world. And as far as, you know, Errol and Bud uh, getting it done, I give 100% to both of those guys uh, because, uh, you know, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have no fight. And, uh, both of them wanted to fight. Both of them, you know, wanted to reach greatness. So, you know, uh, you know, they agreed upon, a, you know, on all the terms and came together like men supposed to do, and and shook hands and, and got the deal done. Right. So, so it was very important that the two of them just uh, kind of talked directly exactly. to to get it over the finish line in the end. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you know. Uh, they had a couple conversations on a few things, uh, you know, that needed to be ironed out, you know, the last couple, you know, just like the last little two or three things, you know, that was kind of holding up for a couple weeks. And, and uh, uh, you know, Bud called Errol and Errol called Bud and, and they talked it out. And once, once they both agreed upon it, it went back to the lawyers and the lawyers got it done. 
So it's been nine years now since Bud won his first world title belt. He's held one or more ever since. Uh, he's almost certainly already a first ballot Hall of Famer. But do you feel that this is going to be the defining matchup, the one by which he'll be judged by posterity? And what's the mood in your camp about this fight, if that is how you feel? Are you approaching it? any differently? Are you feeling any differently about this than any other previous fights? Well, the, the mood in the camp is uh, uh, everybody's, you know, everybody's pretty good. Everybody happy. Uh, you know, we talk about the fight uh, daily, you know, we make adjustments in camp. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we've got the kids up here. I've uh, got a few uh, uh, boxes from the gym up here. Uh, uh, brought in a couple extra coaches for it to help out. You know, because we got uh, one, two, one, two, four extra fighters. You know, got two fighting on the card. And then we got one more that's uh, fighting a, a couple a week before. And then uh, we got like, two fighting two weeks before the fight. So, you know, we're constantly busy. The camp is constantly busy. Um, you know, you know, I have to spread the workouts out to, you know, you know, one group come in this time, the other group come in that time. So, you know, everybody getting along, good sparring is going on, and uh, just another one of those uh, great camps that uh, we have as we approach the fight. Do you agree that this is his legacy fight? Like more than everything that's gone before, this is this is the fight that he'll be remembered for. You know, I, I really do believe that uh, th that this fight will be his legacy fight. Uh, we'll put the icing on the cake. Uh, we'll stop all non-believers, uh, you know, um, and then give all believers the, the reassurance that uh, he, he is the pound for pound best fighter in the world. You know, uh, you know, just by, you know, you know, sticking to his guns, uh, uh, putting his foot on the on the pedal, getting the fight done. Uh, you know, Bud ain't never really been that that vocal type of person. But when you look at the last, you know, uh, the press tour, you know, I, I was kind of shocked myself, you know, some of the <laughs> things that he was saying. So, uh, uh, but, you know, he'd been saying it all along. He just, he's just letting the world know now that uh, he really mean business. So, uh, you know, if you want to reach greatness, you must do things out the ordinary to uh to get to that point and and i know and, and uh, you know from my heart that he's doing everything possible to get to that point so the bud is uh the slight very slight betting favorite in this fight looking at how the sports books have it and and i think the consensus opinion is that he has more versatility and more adaptability than errol spence do, do you agree with that assessment and if so is that bud's biggest advantage in this fight well, I, I believe why Bud got the, you know, the biggest, you know, the betting favor is because to, to be honest with you, how I feel is like, because, you know, real boxing analysts know that Bud is the better fighter. And as you said, you know, he's, you know, he can switch up and go many different ways. He can take the fight different ways. He can press you, can fight you back, fight you side to side. So. Uh, but the real, real boxing fans and, and, you know, the betting people that puts these bets together, they listening. They listening to, you know, the word on the curve, as they say, that Bud is the better fighter. 
Um, what would you say about Errol Spence most concerns you? What What is maybe his greatest strength or just the weapon he brings to the table that gives you the most concern for this fight? Well, his his will and his determination, uh, just his, his fight style itself. You know, uh, like Derek James said in, in the uh, uh, in, at the press conference, press tour, you know, they, they grinders, you know, they hard workers. They like to grind you down to, and, and stop you in the later rounds. And, and it really don't, uh, uh, you know, phase me any because the fact that if you bring your A game, that means Terrence got to bring his A-plus game. Mm. And, and, and that's what we want. You know, I, I still believe to this day that you haven't seen the, yet the best Terrence Crawford. So what Errol, that grind style, you know, we, we, we welcome it, arms open. Come, you know, come with that. And, uh, you know, we got a little tricks up our sleeves to where, you know, it's going to work against him. Would, would you expect that uh, Errol Spence is going to do something to force us to finally see that A-plus game from Terrence Crawford? No, no, not really. I, 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 you know, I figure he'll still be himself. Like they say, you know, if it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So whatever his style has been, it's been working for him, and I'll expect him to bring that to the table. Yeah, so you mentioned you don't think we've seen the best of Bird yet. And uh, earlier on the podcast, I listed what I thought were the best fights we've seen from both guys so far. And I'm curious on your take, what are your favorite fights that, of, of Bud's to this point? Uh, you know, you know uh, that Gamboa fight, is it sticks out to me because, you know, and it's funny that I say this because it, it made us grow, grow as a team. And it made the co- coaches grow, you know, to adjust in the corner to mm-hmm. different styles. So, you know, you know, we was telling Bud one thing and trying to get him to do this and, and do that. Um, but he just, you know, kind of, you know, filled it himself. So he made the adjustments. While he made the adjustments, we had to make the adjustments in the coaching style in the corner. So that that really sticks out to me, you know, uh, 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 I can't think of that guy's name. He, he was 140. He fought uh, Diaz. Felix and Diaz? He, yeah, Felix. Felix. You know, he was a gold medalist, man, and he 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 beat Lamont Peterson, you know. Uh, so, you know, just his style, come forward, just like mm. Spence, try to grind you down, try to grind you down, stay in your chest, and, and that fight, man, I mean, you know, I I told Bud you could you could put a blindfold over your over your eyes. All you gotta do is just listen to your corner, and you'll be able to beat him. Uh, and that that fight just just was one sticks out to me too. Hmm. I was ringside for that Gamboa fight, and it's still one of the most incredible fight night experiences. That exactly. I, exactly. I mean, that was just an insane. Everything about that was an incredible night. Yes, yes. That the, the, you know the. The uh, arena was just rowing, just staking. I mean, it was so loud in there. Yeah, it was. What about, a, what about uh, any of Errol's fights? Any of those that have particularly impressed you? Uh, no, not really, man. You know, because he got the same style. He got the same style. And he does the same thing, you know. Like I said, grind you down then, try to get you out of there later. You know, uh, I have watched 
you know, I, matter of fact, I did watch his last fight probably about 12 hours ago <laughs> uh, with um, uh, with uh, Ugas. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just the way he just go about his business. I think it's phenomenal that how he sticks to the game. Plan. You know, him and Derek put together uh, and regardless of, you know, what a fighter brings to the table, they always stick to the game plan. So uh, a partial change of topic for you here. Uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to be previewing Boots Ennis's July 8th fight against Roy Monvia. And he's widely considered the heir apparent in the welterweight division. I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on Boots as a fighter? Is he deserving of, of all the hype? Yeah, yeah. Boots is, man, uh, Boots is one hell of a great uh, young fighter at that. So, you know, I mean, he got so long, long time to go phenomenal switches speed pop to him uh you know he's the he's the future of boxing if i say so so and i ask this question knowing full well you're you're focused on spence and not looking past that but if bud beats spence july 29th and boots keeps winning do you think we will see bud versus boots before bud retires when bud beats spence Okay, sorry. Yes, I knew that was coming. Yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, uh, I can see them fighting. I can see them fighting down the line. You know, uh, you know, of course, of course uh, Boots is going to keep winning. Uh, uh, his dad uh, and uh, Cameron Duncan over there doing an excellent job with that young fighter. He's going to be in the position one day to where, you know, whoever he's in front of, they got to shit or get off the pot. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Buzz that type of person is like, let's go. Let's make this fight happen. So, you know, I want to continue to show the, the the fans in the boxing world that he is the best. So if that opportunity ever came up for Terrence to fight Boots, I'm sure he'll welcome it. Final question for you. How much longer can Bud keep doing this? I mean, and how much longer would you want him to? Is he one of those guys who's so skilled and doesn't take damage, doesn't have wear and tear that you could still see him fighting at an elite level at 40 or don't you think that's going to happen well uh, you know me personally uh i'm gonna back him 100 percent for his career because i know here on out but wants to accomplish uh accomplish things in boxing that people you know other fighters have never accomplished uh and move forward and, and continues to be great so um Again, I'm gonna back you, but if he starts slipping a little bit, then you pull your fighter to the side, and y'all have that conversation. But I can't see having that conversation with with Bud, not in the Mm. next year, maybe two. Mm. And you know, you guys, you're more than a trainer to Bud. You guys go back a long way. If you ever wanted to have that conversation, that's the conversation he'd have with you and listen to you about. I I wish I could. I wish I could uh, get up out my room and take y'all through the house and. You can see, you know, just the whole family, you know, family. You got the kids down there working on their cars, you know, their remote, remote control cars. Uh, Grandpa helping them. Uh, you got one fighter down there looking at, you know, looking at tape on his fighter. Uh, then you got, you know, Steven Nelson. He's downstairs in the basement fixing the door. Uh, you got one of the other coaches. You got two coaches in the other room over there. Uh, they probably over there studying. So, you know, we just, we just family, man. You know, this is what we do. We've been doing it for uh, 20 plus years since the amateur days. We've been in this house probably about five years. So, I mean, 
It's another day in the park for us. Hey, Bo, look, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Congratulations again on getting this big fight, and we will see you on July 29th. Thank you for having me, and it's good to see you, man. I haven't seen you in a minute, so. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Thank you. All thanks, right, thanks man. a lot, man. Many thanks to Bo Mack for joining us, and thanks to everyone for listening to this latest episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week. We look ahead, among other things, to the return of Boots Ennis. Until then, be safe, be kind, and be well.